very much. Well, good evening. I want to know. I want to know how come it is that you guys didn't want to sit with them. I mean, they're really nice people. Look over here. Just look over here, guys. Like you know, and look over here. John, did you take a shower? John, did you take a shower today? The shower. Andy, did you take a shower? I didn't. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Anyway, we're just so glad to have you tonight. And uh, hopefully we're going to, you know, our, we're so glad to have our guests tonight. Awesome with the kids. Totally cool. And uh, hopefully I'll give you something to take home tonight that you can apply uh, to your life. I told Judy, I said, this really isn't a sermon tonight. She goes, well, what is it? <laughs> I said, it's an illustrative journey. <laughs> so there you go. Then I just want him to go, hmm, I wonder what he's got in mind tonight. Well, here's the deal. This morning, um, in, in the sermon time, uh, this morning we talked about well, we talked about several things. And one of the illustrations I used was the one from Andy Stanley. And, of course, this all ties into this morning um, what we were talking about with, with our relationships, about being a, uh, having experienced grace, then we extend grace. Having experienced grace from God, God expects us then to extend grace to other people. And that was the tie-in um, that we had. And then I talked about the word kindness, how it has a generous response, a generous response. And I used the illustration from Andy Stanley, and I really think it's a good one. And again, if you weren't here this morning, I hope, hope you'll tag on to this, uh, get a hold of it. And what Andy Stanley said was this, that he was talking about marriage, but he said it actually applies to all the different relationships that we have. Um, Jack, I've got some feedback up here. Um, I think my monitors must be on. I don't mind you hearing me, but I don't want to hear me, I promise you. That, I really don't. But anyway, so what Andy Stanley, that's great, thank you. Andy Stanley was talking about was, he said in every situation, in all relationships, whether it be marriage or whether it be at work or whether, wherever it might be, um, you have expectations from people and then you have the actual behavior. You have what you expect people to do, how you expect your wife to behave, how you expect your um, husband to behave, how you expect your children to behave, how you expect your pastor to behave, how you expect your teacher at school to behave, how you expect your parents to behave. You have all those expectations. And then we have how it really pans out. We have the actual behavior. And the big point this morning was, and the idea of being grace receivers and then grace extenders was, what do you do when that doesn't match? What do you do when you have this expectation and it doesn't happen? Okay, and again, where there's marriage, all that does not matter. What do you do when you're in a relationship with a person, whether it be friendship or whatever, and you have this expectation and the person totally fails you? What do you do with that? And Andy Stanley made the point this morning, and, or actually I made the point, and he made it earlier, was that there's a gap there. What do you do when there's a gap between expectations and behavior. What do you do with that gap? And here's what he said. He said, we have two options. We can, A, we can assume the worst. In other words, when your husband says for the 14th time, I'll be home at 5 and he's not home, you can assume the worst, that he's out doing something he shouldn't do or he doesn't care or all these different things. You can assume the worst in a situation. Um, if your child does something, you can assume the worst. Um, if your boss does something, you can assume the worst. Or we can believe the best. We can believe the best. And what grace does, grace takes that gap and chooses to fill it to believe the best. And that's huge. I mean, again, any kind of a close relationship you're in, again, whether it be work or school, whatever it might be, when we all of a sudden start believing the best in a relationship, it totally changes the tenor and the relationship. I mean, it changes the, everything about that relationship. And it's huge. And here's the deal. It's scriptural. It's scriptural. 
You know, God totally, and I don't think I'm, boy, I'm right on target. I, think, I don't think I'm outside the biblical lines with this. God chooses to believe the best in us. Amen? You understand that? He chooses to believe the best in you. He doesn't assume the worst. Well, of course, he knows because he's God. But he chooses to believe the best. And he expects us to do the same. Because as we experience grace, he expects us to extend grace. So what I wanted to do tonight is I want to take a, not a real common story in the Bible, a, a thread actually, a thread, and kind of follow it and see how this plays out. Now, I told you this morning also in the message that I went and saw the movie Risen, and I really want to encourage you to go see that. Now, Judy will tell you um, there are some, there's some scenes that are hard, not necessarily the crucifixion, but like, for instance, the way they disposed of the bodies um, in the movie was the way they did it then. They threw it in a, they threw it in a, a valley, if you will, a, a spot, and they decomposed, and they showed some of that. It was kind of hard. I told you when they broke the, uh, the guy's legs, that was hard. But it's also very, very realistic, realistic. And here's what I liked about the movie, one of the things. I liked the way they portrayed the guys, the men. You know, we have a real tendency to put Peter and James and John and Bartholomew, all these guys on some kind of a pedestal, and we want to make them something that they're not. We want to make them super, and we're normal. And that robs their story of the power. And in this movie, they were portrayed like every other guy's, just like, guess what? They were. They were ordinary people. So you'll appreciate that if you see the movie. And the story I want to tell tonight, I want, it shows really, it shows really that these guys were ordinary people. Just like us, they experienced God's grace. Some had the privilege of walking with Jesus and seeing the miracles, but guess what? That didn't really change them that much. It didn't make them, it didn't elevate them to superhero status because they still messed up after they walked with Jesus, incredibly. You know, we walk by faith, they walk by sight, but just because they were able to touch Jesus physically didn't make them some kind of a superhero where they never messed up because they did. Now, the story tonight is really the three main characters are, and I'll give you the names in just a minute, but we have a zealot. We have someone who's just, his, the, the personality of this person is hard driving. Not a lot of mercy and a lot of not of grace. I mean, really a hard-driving individual. Then we've got a person who's filled with mercy. He's just filled with encouragement. That's, in fact, that's what he was known for, encouragement. And then you've got a failure. Then you've got a failure. Actually, you've got three failures. But the, this one guy, if you know him at all, you know, oh, yeah, he's the guy. Isn't that funny how we do that, by the way? Isn't it funny how, like, for instance, now, now there's one guy, all I've got to do is say I'm talking about the 12 guys. And when you say doubting, you think of Thomas. Thomas. I mean, instantly, no, no matter whatever Thomas may have said or whatever else he did with Jesus that may or may not be recorded in Scripture, the first thought we have is that he says, he said, unless I see, unless I can put my hand, my finger in the print and my hand inside, I will not believe. And he's been tagged with that. And Peter, we're going to do, hopefully we're going to do a sermon series entitled uh, The Peter Principles, and we're going to look at Peter's life. But Peter's all over the map. You know, one minute he's saying, we believe you are the Messiah, the Christ. You know, and everybody's going, yay! And the next minute he's going, I don't know him. You know, I don't know him. 
Yeah, it's, uh, Peter's just all over the place, and yet we, tendency, we have a tendency to go to that night when Jesus said, you're going to deny me, and Peter said, no, I'm not either. All these other guys will, but not me. And of course, just, just hour, actually a couple of hours later, he's going, I know not the man, I know not the man. And we think of Peter as that failure who denied Jesus. Or, or better than that, we think about the guy who said, well, if you're really Jesus, then have me get out of the boat and walk on the water. And Jesus said, come on. And he got out of the boat, took a few steps, took his eyes off Jesus, and what happened? And we go with Peter, we go, oh yeah, he's the guy who sunk. No, no, no. He's the guy who got out of the boat. He at least walked on water, even though he did lose his faith and took his eyes off Jesus. But the, the other 11 guys, they wouldn't even get out of the boat. But we're so easy, it's so easy to throw Peter under the bus because of those failures. But they're just ordinary people. Ordinary people. So I want to look at this guy tonight and show you. He was an ordinary guy, but he's got a bigger story than you think might. Well, you may have figured out the three characters... The zealot is the Apostle Paul. I mean, Paul, again, Paul wasn't known for his, he loved to teach about grace, but he wasn't one you know, to extend grace real easily, and he was also not big on mercy. I mean, he loved to talk about mercy, but he, wasn't, he didn't find it easy. Some personality types don't extend mercy and grace very easily. Does that remove the responsibility to do so? If you're married to a person who has a personality type that doesn't ordinarily extend grace easily or mercy, does that excuse them? No, it does not. And if that's you, you need to understand that. You know, I love it. I, I was thinking earlier today, I was thinking Philippians 4.13. You know, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means if you're not naturally a grace-filled person in the sense of extending grace, because of Christ you can. If you're not, if you're not a natural person who extends mercy... By God's grace, you can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Then you probably figured out probably that the encourager guy, in fact, his name means encouragement, is Barnabas. Barnabas was a real encouraging, soft, fuzzy, let me give you a bear hug kind of guy. That's who he was. And the, and the, and the failure guy, you may or may not know him. His name was John Mark. And we're going to show you some things about John Mark because actually he appears in Scripture several times in very unique situations. And we're going to see tonight how he failed. And then what did, what did Paul and Barnabas choose to do with the failure? How did they feel the gap? How did, how did the man from Damascus, or going to Damascus who met Jesus on the road, how did he fill the gap? How did Barnabas fill the gap? So who is then this guy named John Mark? Well, I'm going to have you go to several scriptures tonight because I was amazed, and this is not all of them. Actually, John Mark has mentioned several other places. He's pretty much a big, he's a minor key player, if that makes any sense to you, all right? The first scripture I want you to look at tonight with me, if you want to write these down or go there, that would be cool. Again, this is a little bit different sermon. It's not, you know, it's not the normal way we do things. And in Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 10, in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 10. Now, this is after the event, okay, in Acts that caused the problem, okay? And so you can see a little bit how already Paul responds, but, but put that aside for the moment. I'm trying to show you something. First off, we want to see that this is Cousin Mark. Cousin Mark, literally. In Colossians 4.10, here's what it says. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets, greets you. And this is, this is Paul talking. 
okay? As does, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. See, then, is a family relationship. We're gonna, we have Paul, we have Barnabas, and we have John Mark, and John Mark is Barnabas' cousin, okay? So keep that in mind. Some, you know how it is when you get family involved. Sometimes that can cause a little bit of friction in and of itself. Now, the second thing about John Mark is his relationship with Peter. I thought this was very interesting. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 13, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, the Bible says this, and we won't touch on the first part because it doesn't have to do with our topic tonight. But the church in Babylon, Peter says, also chosen, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. So we have cousin Mark, and we also have my son Mark. Now this is not, Peter, Peter's not Mark's daddy, but just like Paul was to Timothy, you know, you know, Paul said of Timothy, my son in the ministry. So John Mark has this very special relationship with Peter. And Peter considered him his spiritual son. Now, again, I didn't know that until I started tying the scriptures together. So he's already, we know, he's the cousin of Barnabas, a key player in the Bible. We also know that Peter, he worked with Peter, by the way. Some people believe that he wrote down the sermons later, much later, he wrote down sermons by Peter, and they became a part of Peter's writings. Okay? So he served with Peter uh, later on in his years. All right? So we have cousin Mark, we have son Mark, and we have streaker Mark. Yes, that's right. You heard streaker Mark. There's a verse in the Bible that I know throughout the ages, normal people like us have gone, huh? You know, see, Mark 14, 51 and 52 is one of those scriptures that you've got to love about the Bible. You know, in case you sit there and go, oh, I don't read the Bible, it's boring, I don't read the Bible, you need to read your Bible because it's got some really unusual things in it. Can I have an amen? I mean, if you want to get your mind blown, just spend some time in the early New Testament, uh, Old Testament. It's got some crazy things. That, and this has always one of, been one of those crazy things. Okay? Here's what Mark 14, 51 to 52, and you'll see why I said Mark the streaker. The Bible says, now a certain young man, and, and the Greek of that uh, it refers to a man in his prime, somewhere probably between about 21, 22 years old and up to as old as 40, somewhere in there. Now, a certain young man having a linen cloth wrapped around his, hold your ears, his naked body. See, I told you, you ought to read your Bible. You ought to read your Bible. Around his naked body was following him. Now, in my translation of the Bible, which I believe is Holman Christian Standard, that H is capitalized. So this is happening then right at the end of Jesus' ministry. This is right before the, the crucifixion. It's right, you know, in, right before the garden, in the garden. Actually, he's already been arrested. Jesus has been arrested, so that's when this is written. Following him, they, the people arresting Jesus, caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. You ought to read your Bible. As I was sitting there studying this, I'm going, Really? Now, let me just, again, lay it out for you. Here's this guy, okay? He's following Christ. The, the mob is there, has arrested him. Someone says, you know, grabs a hold of him. Maybe he's a potential witness. We don't know. Grabs a hold of him. And as they grab a hold of him, 
basically they rip his clothes off, his, his gown, his garment that he had on, and he had nothing on underneath it, and he ran away naked. Okay? He ran away because, well, I guess maybe because he's naked, but, but mainly because he was afraid. Okay? He was afraid. Now, what I'm going to tell you is a little bit speculation, but that's okay as long as I tell you up front. Because there's really more to the story uh, than here. In Mark 14, that was Mark 14, 51. In Mark 14, 14, we get a little glimpse here. The Bible says Jesus is giving instructions for where he's going to have the last Passover, right before the garden, right before the cross. And whenever this person enters, tell the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room for me to eat Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, make the preparations for us there. So, so the big question is, whose house is it? Whose house is it? A lot of guys smarter than me and you theologically believes that this is the house of Mark's mom and dad. Mark's mom and dad. You say, Dwayne, is there any scriptural kind of like at least a connection there? And there is. In Acts 12, 11 and 12, we read these words. Peter's been locked up in jail. They're praying for his release. So Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. When he realized this, when Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. So we're getting a picture, at least a little bit, that apparently John Mark's mom and dad, and we have his mother's name, Mary, was a place where the disciples and where Jesus went, and it's not outside of the realm of distinct possibility that it was the owner of the house, that this is where the Last Supper was served. Okay, again, I'm not out on a limb here. A lot of theologians go, most likely, okay, this is what happened. Now, now here, kind of get a picture here, and we're going to tie it back into to the streaking part. Okay, you know, what he was doing. And again, this is speculation. This is speculation. If in fact, if in fact the Lord's Supper, the, the Last Supper had been held in, the, in, in Mark's mom's and dad's house, Mark would have most likely have been there, okay, then when the disciples left, he of course does what? He goes to bed. And then when they go to bed, when he goes to go to bed, they had a sleeping garment that they wore. And I understand they didn't have BBDs like us, okay? So chances are he took his outer garments out, his inner garments out, and put on this sleeping robe. And then somehow, whether a servant came or someone came, he heard what had happened, that Jesus had been arrested. He jumps out of bed. And this is all speculation. He jumps out of bed and runs and follows after Christ, perhaps to warning, perhaps, perhaps supporting. But the bottom line is he's in his nightgown. He gets there, and we know from fact, the Bible says that they grabbed this garment. And most theologians believe that it was Mark in the story. Mark is writing about himself. Check it out. Get on Google it. Do your commentary thing. It's just a real interesting thought. And again, have you ever wondered you know, about that and saying, it's a story, of, it's a beautiful story of devotion. That Mark, if it in fact is Mark, and again, most theologians believe that it is. How devoted was he to not even take time to put on his regular garments? He runs out the house to follow after Jesus and to support Jesus. Isn't that interesting? If nothing else, it is interesting, folks. It's interesting. And, I, and let me just say this. There's a reason why God puts things in the Bible. Now, again, 
You can bounce this around. You can say, oh, I don't believe that. I don't know. But we do know that there was a young man at this Mark's age. Most theologians believe it was Mark. And it makes sense if you think about it. All right? So we got that situation. Then, then we're going to jump a little bit forward, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And now we have Paul and Barnabas. They've taken up this offering. They take it to Jerusalem because there's a famine. And here's what the Bible says there. After they had completed their relief mission... Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, taking along John, who is called Mark. Now, you already know that John Mark lives in Jerusalem. So when, when Paul and Barnabas decided to leave Jerusalem, you know, maybe old Barnabas said, Hey, cuz, won't you come and go with us? So they take John Mark along with them. Got that? All right. Then in Acts 13, 4 and 5, we get a little more information. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they came down to Cilicia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salmas, they proclaimed God's message in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. Now, the, the context there seems to be that John played a vital role in the ministry. One, several commentaries said he was probably a discipler, that he was taking the young believers and teaching them about Christ. Okay. Secondly, he probably was a, uh, a guy Friday. He handled all the details of the ministry. So John had a vital role, a vital role. He, was, he wasn't just a tag-along cousin. He had a vital role in the ministry that they did there. Now look what happens. Now the drum roll comes. Acts 13. I'm hearing something. What is it? Are you all hearing that? Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, very good. All right. All right, listen, listen. Acts 13, 13. Acts 13, 13. Paul and his companions. Now, notice something. I'll bring it out in just a minute, but notice that's a little bit different. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Persia and Pamphylia. John, however, left them and went back to Jerusalem. Uh-oh. Here's the failure. Here's the failure. Now, John was brought along from Jerusalem. He's playing a vital role in the ministry, probably discipling, probably handling all the details, all the logistics of the ministry, and all of a sudden, he goes home. He goes home. And we're going to learn in just a minute when we get down to Acts chapter 15, it's not a good thing. It's not, it's not like he said, hey, guys, thanks, appreciate a lot. I'm out of here. You know, something happened in his life. I wrote down four things, you know, maybe. Remember I said here, Paul and his, his companions. It's no longer Paul and Barnabas. Paul has assumed the leadership of the group. And it's possible that John Mark wrestled with that. One, at one time, his cousin was on equal footing, and now he's not. And have you ever wrestled with something like that? You know, change of, of leadership or circumstances. You didn't agree with the new leadership. Didn't think it was fair. Barnabas, I don't think they're treating you right. We don't know what happened, but perhaps the change of leadership has something to do with it. Um, uh, John Mark was a very strong Jewish boy. And all of a sudden, Paul is taking them down a different road. And what's that road? To the Gentiles. And it's possible that John Mark wrestled with going to the Gentiles. Maybe that's why he went home. You know, the road they're about to go on was known for being very dangerous. Very dangerous. Perhaps he was faint of, of heart there and didn't want to take that, that dangerous journey. Um, he may have been homesick. You know, again, he could have been as early as young as 21, 22 years old. But the bottom line, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is John Mark quit. The bottom line is John Mark quit. Now, again, 
before tonight, you might go, well, I don't know who this guy is. You know, he wasn't a key player. He was. He was a very, he, had, he sat under the tutage of some great men of God, and yet suddenly he quit. You know, the story before this, that there was a sorcerer and, and, and they struck him with blindness. Maybe the spiritual warfare thing after him. We don't know. All we do know is that John Mark went home. Now, we have an expectation and we have, an expect, and we have a, a behavior and there's a gap. What are we going to do with the gap? You've had it before. You had an expectation. Clearly, Paul and most likely Barnabas, expected this man to do his job. He expected him to do what they brought him along for. That expectation was not met, and the behavior was he went home. He left. How are you going to fill the gap? And this is where we see a very human side of a couple of great biblical men that will encourage us in going, wait a minute, I struggled, they struggled. Okay, at least I get that part of it. We jump ahead now unto Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 39. Acts 15, 36 through 39. We're going to see now what happens. So after some time, in Acts 15, 36, after some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in every town where we have preached the message of the Lord and see how they're doing. What a great idea. No, no indication of a storm cloud. No indication of a problem. Hey, hey, Barn. Yeah, hey, Barney. <laughs> hey, Barn. Let, let's go back and see these guys. We, on our first missionary journey, we went around. We, you know, we shared Christ and people were one. Let's go see how they're doing. Barnabas says, that's a great idea, Paul. And then Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark. And instantly, there's a storm. Have you ever been amazed how instantly storms pop up? Just like that. I mean, I can just see it. Hey, Paul, what do you think about taking John Mark along? And what do y'all think? You think Paul went, oh, what a great idea. Not the zealot. Not the zealot. See, the zealot said Paul did not think it appropriate. Now, this is where we know it didn't end well. Paul did not think it appropriate to take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and not gone on with them to the work. And basically, Paul's saying, listen, he deserted us, he quit, and I don't want to quit her back. Did, did Paul fill the gap very well? Did Paul fill the gap very well? I know I'm asking you to say something bad about Paul. I understand that. Paul wasn't perfect. Did Paul fill the gap well? No. I mean, you could, you could argue the point, well, he's being a good leader. You know, he knows what's best for the team. The bottom line is, he saw John Mark still as a quitter. Once a quitter, always a quitter. Aren't you glad God doesn't say that about us? Aren't you glad God doesn't say that about us? So you've got Barnabas, the encourager, Barnabas, the guy with mercy, and he fills the gap well. Here we have the expectation was not, clearly was not met. He walked out on Barnabas too. Okay, here's the expectation. And the performance, the behavior was, he walked out. But because he chose to fill the gap with grace, he chose to fill it. And I don't think a, a thing to about him being cousin. I don't think this was a blood decision. I think it was a grace decision. I think Barnabas said, you know what? God's shown me a little mercy. I think we should owe John Mark a little mercy. 
And Paul, who wrote about grace, wasn't wired the same way. For him to extend grace and mercy was just a little bit more difficult. So it gets worse. You ought to read your Bible. Verse 39. There was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. They broke relationship. They parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus, and Paul and Silas ultimately went on to Europe. Paul found him a new partner. Barnabas took John Mark. Now, interestingly enough, this is just interesting. You know, this is the last time that Barnabas and Mark are mentioned in the book of Acts. The last time. From now on, we hear more and more about Paul and about Silas. Just an interesting fact about that. So the contention was so great between them, they broke company. So you see how how we fill gaps sometimes can have greater consequences. When you when you have a wife and you don't fill that gap appropriately, it can slosh over into other things. Now, I, I, it, something bothers me, and you know I, I I just grew tired of it a long time ago when preachers would make fun about church splits, and I say, yeah, God's growing the church to the vision. Well, he may. That's Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. But God never said, grow the church by having fights. And God, I don't think, the one of the commentaries said, but because of this, yes, because of this, but it was Romans 8, 28. It was Romans 8, 28. God brought good out of this contention, but it wasn't his primary and first will. So how does it end? I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I googled and I got my commentaries and I read. And while there's no, again, I told you that in the book of Acts, anyway, Barnabas is not mentioned again. Um, but there's no, there's no bow on this. There, there's not a little ribbon I get to tie you on tonight and say, see, and they made up. But apparently they did. Everything in the scripture shows not a broken relationship. But we don't have it recorded in scripture how Paul and Barnabas came back together. But here's the big part. You know, first off, let me just tell you this. If Barnabas had anything to do with it, I promise you it was made up. Because you know why? He's mercy and grace. He's mercy and grace. Okay, so I, if Barnabas had anything to do with it, I'm sure it was. But here's the great part. The zealot, the guy that had a hard time filling in the gap, right, gets it right. Gets it right. There's just a great scripture, and this is our last scripture, in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 9. It's a good scripture. In fact, you need to understand that Paul's like months away from dying. He's going to be martyred. They're going to cut his head off. He's writing to Timothy, of course, and says, Make every effort to come to me soon. In fact, later on he says, Come before winter. I love that. Uh, Chuck Swindoll wrote a book, Come Before Winter. And the reason he said, Come Before Winter, because he didn't think he'd be there in the spring. They're going to lop his head off by then. But make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas has deserted me because he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Tida to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And here it is, here it is, here it is. Bring Mark with you. Hey, Timothy, Timothy, bring Mark with you when you come. For he is useful to me in the ministry. Isn't that great? Isn't it, come on, isn't that good? Doesn't it give you a warm fuzzy? Doesn't you kind of go, oh, 
It's, it's wonderful. Because this man of great grace, of course, understood the power of grace. And like I told you way back in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, you know, where, where Paul said these words, he said, um, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Paul is saying, hey, 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 if, Barnabas, if, if uh, John Mark comes, welcome him big. In fact, the Greek implies that. Welcome him heartily. If you've got an amplified Bible, it says, welcome him heartily. So even though, it, oh, was it hard? Yes. And, and isn't it painful sometimes to see these great men of God struggle with their own actions in the Bible? Yes, but it gives us hope. Because like they struggle, guess what? We struggle. But like they overcome, we can overcome. And by the way, I guess you figure something out. Who do you think wrote the second gospel? The failure. John Mark. John Mark. God used to write the second gospel. And by the way, most theologians believe he got a lot of that from his spiritual dad, Peter. Largely, most people believe that Mark's gospel is Peter's account of walking with Jesus. Well, now, isn't that cool? Isn't that just interesting to you? So I hope you'll leave tonight understanding the importance of the gap. What are you going to do tomorrow when you get to work? What are you going to do tomorrow when you get up with your, your wife or your husband or your child? What, how are you going to fill that gap? May I just suggest one word? Let's fill it with grace. Let's fill it with grace. Let's bow our heads. Well, Father, your word is so incredibly interesting and it's powerful and it's true. And some details, we may not have all of it, but what a wonderfully interesting story about a young man named John Mark who, in, even though he failed, you used him in such a big way. Thank you for that. And we think about Peter who failed in such a big way and yet you used him. In fact, Father, we could go all the way through the eleven. And yes, even though they failed, you used them in a big way. Father, that gives us hope. That gives us hope. So, Father, we leave tonight, and we're faced tomorrow with that gap of expectations versus behavior. As we walk with people tomorrow, and there's that gap, help us, through your grace, help us to assume not the worst, but to believe the best. Help us to be grace extenders as we have been grace experiencers. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Hey, we're going to have a time.